Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Monday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, and thank you so much for joining me on Monday's edition. Hopefully, you enjoyed your weekend and you will enjoy this coming week. Welcome to this episode. Listen, I have no idea what I was doing there with that intro. I was just trying to sound professional, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and uh I try to be, you know, you know, quirky and I try to come up with something every something new every intro and I try to do something new every outro and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I have no idea what I was doing there to be honest. But anyways, welcome everybody. Welcome back to Merv's Boston Sports Talk. This is Monday's edition. Hopefully you had a awesome weekend as it was relatively nice out. I know there was a little bit of rain, but it was still kind of warm. Um eh, maybe not. Yesterday was kind of chilly. All right, never mind. Scratch what I said. But it was very nice on Thursday, Friday. And even a little bit on Saturday before it rained. So hopefully you were able to kind of take advantage of the warm weather towards the end of last week and early in the weekend. Here, right now, it is mad brazy outside. It is extremely obnoxious. It even blew down the projector that I built. And if you watch my YouTube exclusive videos, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I have to go fix that now. So, wah, wah, wah. Anyways, guys, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Hopefully you had an awesome weekend, like I said. And hopefully this episode can help <clears throat> excuse me can help you through the, your week uh we don't have a lot to go over today but we do have some um very interesting points to talk about and some important things to talk about but before we get into any of that i do want to talk about march madness of course obviously because that's the biggest thing going on right now in all of sports and currently as it stands right now Let me pull up the league. I am 10 points ahead of second place. 
So I am in first place. That is so exciting. And it has been very stressful because I ain't going to lie. I've never been this close and have a shot at winning. So it's like a little unfamiliar territory for me. And we're in a big league. There's, I have no, not sure how many people, but it has a little 50 plus sign um, at the bottom of the standing. So I don't really want to count how many people are in it. So let's just say over 50. And I feel really good where I'm at right now. So obviously for those who aren't keeping up, I will go over who are the final teams in the Elite Eight, and then I'll kind of break down the Sweet 16 matchups that, um, for um, I guess, happened beforehand. I don't know. I was trying to think of a fancy word, but I couldn't come up with one. Anyways, so we have number one, Gonzaga versus six, USC, to determine the West. We have number one, Michigan versus 11, UCLA, to determine the East. We have one, Baylor versus three, Arkansas, to determine the South. And 12, Oregon State versus 2, Houston to determine the Midwest. It was a very exciting weekend for basketball as we approached the, um, I guess, the midway point um, in the tournament with the Sweet 16. And there was a lot of good matchups. I really thought that Michigan-Florida State matchup was going to be a lot closer than it was. Michigan ended up winning by almost 20 points, 18 to be exact. And let's see, UCLA beating Alabama in overtime. That was the big game. I was really watching because I had Alabama in my final four. Now, I would love to have had the points, and I kind of wish Alabama ended up winning. But when I was looking at the other brackets from other people that were you know, close or you know threats to uh, winning the tournament, they had them as well in the final four, and a couple of them had them in the championship game. Now, I have Gonzaga and Baylor in the championship game. I don't have Alabama, but some people do. So I was kind of rooting for Alabama to lose there because no one really else, no one had Alabama winning. So there was no threat there if they say they end up winning. But the people that had them in the championship game were going to get those points. So I was kind of rooting, as much as I love Alabama, I love Alabama football and it's been awesome to see Alabama basketball in the tournament. But I was kind of against Alabama this game, and Kim's going to hate that, hate me saying that when she listens to this, because she actually had Alabama winning. She was the only person in the entire league, like I said, over 50 people at least, to have Alabama winning, so she was kind of uh, really bummed about that, and I do apologize, because I think she has no one left in her final four, maybe one more team. I'm not too sure, but so there's that, and I mean, I, I don't really care for UCLA. No one has UCL, UCLA at this point. I mean... They were a first four game in, so did anybody really pick them to even um, beat BYU? I mean, I know I did, but I think that's as far, far as people had UCLA. So at this point, it doesn't really matter how far UCLA goes, but I mean, now that they're about to play Michigan, I don't really want them to win, obviously. Um, number one, Baylor versus five, Villanova. Uh, Baylor won by 11. That was kind of a close game early on, and I guess if you want to call 11 a close game, sure, but... I think Baylor really kind of flexed their muscle as a serious contender to win the championship this year, being able to bear down, play some defense against a really good Villanova team. They were able to make the shots when they needed to, and um, at the end of the day, they deserve to win that game, moving on to the Elite Eight. Moving on to Arkansas versus Oral Roberts. That was a close game. Like I said, I have Arkansas, let's see, I have Arkansas just up into the Elite Eight, and not a lot of people picked Arkansas, but then again, a lot of people did. And I think the people that are, you know, flirting with the, you know, championship have Arkansas go into the Elite Eight, maybe even the Final Four. So I'm glad that they won against Oral Roberts. But wow, Oral Roberts put up a big fight. Wow, they almost did it. 
They really almost did it. And let's see, Oral Roberts would have beating, they would have beat Ohio State, they would have beat Florida, and they would have beat Arkansas if they were able to win that game. And then they would have moved on to play Baylor. Wow, wow, wow. Um, yeah, so 72-70, it's a one-possession game. Um, real heartbreaker for ORU. Um, but it's good to see Arkansas move on and get the extra points there. Then we move on to the Midwest where we had Loyola Chicago versus Oregon State. I was rooting for Loyola Chicago. I know, I don't think anyone else had Oregon State at this point either. So, I mean, did some people have Loyola Chicago going this far? Probably, but not a lot, or at least not people that are, you know, higher understanding. So it was sad to see them lose by seven. You know, they're an absolute wagon, complete utter wagon. And I was really hoping to see Sister Jean get her championship. Then we move on to 11 Syracuse versus 2 Houston. Uh, I think it was close very, very early on. And then kind of Houston blew the doors off. They ended up winning by 16. And that Cinderella story for Syracuse ends in the Sweet 16. Houston is an absolute powerhouse. They can play defense. They can score at will. And it's going to be a tough matchup for Oregon, uh, Oregon State, excuse me. And that's kind of where my issue with the bracket kind of falls into because a couple other people have Gonzaga winning. They have Michigan in the Final Four, Baylor in the Final Four, or in the championship game, losing to Gonzaga. And then there's some people that have Houston in the Final Four or in the championship game, losing to Gonzaga. Now, in order for me to win, I need Oregon State to win against Houston. I really think that's the only way I can win. Now, is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No, sorry, my cord keeps hitting the mic. Is it probable? No. There's nothing that Oregon State does better than Houston. Houston's a very well-rounded team. And like I said, they can score, they can play defense, they can clamp down, and they can, you know, score in bunches, right? Oregon State, can they they can they play defense, obviously, but I don't see them like, you know, going out there and scoring in bunches. Now they played excellent against Loyola Chicago, but that's Loyola Chicago though. That's not Houston. And not that Houston's is, you know, Duke in the 90s or like Kentucky in the early 2010s, but Houston's a very good team, and Oregon State's going to have to play excellent defense. Now, if they can play the defense that they played against Loyola Chicago and the type of defense that they played against, um, who was it the round before? Um, Oklahoma State, then I think that they could win. I really do think that they could win that game. That is the, that is the first game, too. That's the first game of the Elite Eight, so a lot of pressure is on them tonight, which is tonight at 7.15 tip-off. And if Houston wins, I think I'm going to be done because I had Houston only going to the Final Four. I mean, I'm sorry, the Elite Eight because I had Oklahoma State in the Final Four. So it's a little tough for me right now. I need Gonzaga, I need Baylor, and then I need Gonzaga to win it. And I need Oregon State to beat Houston. If all that happens, I think I'm going to win the league. I've tried to do the math. I've tried to pinpoint you know, who has... Higher than me, max point-wise. I'm trying to see who's close to me point-wise. I think it's a real chance that I could win this, boys. So, bless up. Pray for me, please. You know, I'm not exactly sure how big the pot is, if it's going to be split between, you know, one, two, three, one, two, or whatever. But I'm definitely excited to, you know, at least be in this position. Because, like I said, I've never been this close to winning a March uh, Madness bracket in my entire career. Playing March Madness, which is, like, 10 years. So, whew. all right. Um... 
any any games I'm looking forward to other than the Oregon State Houston game. That one Michigan versus UCLA game has got my interest because UCLA was a first four game in, and now they're in the Elite Eight, almost at the cusp of the Final Four. Can they beat Michigan? Very similar situation for UCLA like Oregon State has is if they can play defense like they've had in the previous rounds against their previous opponents and they can, you know, make shots, like the easy shots, like open layups, open threes, I think they could win. I mean, Michigan's a complete house itself. Uh, A lot of people have them winning the championship. I think it's like Gonzaga, Baylor, and then Michigan in terms of popularity for winning the championship. But I'm going to be very interested in that because I think Gonzaga should be able to beat USC, and I really think Baylor should be able to beat Arkansas. But don't sleep on USC and Arkansas. I mean, they're here in the Elite Eight for a reason. They play good fo- uh, football. They play good basketball. And it's just overall, we're getting down to the wire in March Madness, so every game is going to be a must-watch at this point. So that's my little March Madness minute, I guess. So you could, I guess you could call it a minute if you want. Um, March Madness tidbit per se, but I know we do have some, I don't want to say breaking news because it actually happened, I think Friday it happened or whatever day it happened, but I didn't get to talk about it because it, obviously I, I don't drop episodes on the weekend, so you know have to wrap around on Monday to talk about it, and that's obviously the trade in the NFL, or I should say the trades, plural, multiple, trades in the NFL, and geez, I, they're both you know very, very um, noteworthy, but let's just talk about the first one that happened, and that was the trade between the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. So before the trade happened, the Miami Dolphins held the third overall pick from a trade with Houston a couple years ago when they traded Laramie Tunsil to the Texans. They got back a first-round pick, or two first-round picks actually, and one of them this year is the third overall pick. And the 49ers were sitting at the 12th overall pick in the draft. Now, with the trade between the two of them, San Francisco gets the third overall pick in the draft, and Miami will walk away with the 12th overall pick in the draft, a first-round pick next year, a third-round pick next year, and a 2023 first-round pick. So they're going to be getting three first-round picks, a third for one first-round pick. Now, this is a huge trade. I mean, I think this is a win for the Dolphins. I mean, they're completely, I don't want to say in rebuilding mode, but they have that rebuilding-like mentality, but they still have a really good competitive team right now. Did they need the third overall pick in the draft? Probably not. I mean, if you're not going to take a quarterback, and if you're going to buy into Tua Tunga Viola, then you don't need the third overall pick. I mean, you could take Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase at that spot, but... Does that make any sense? I mean, yeah, obviously, yes, because they're you know going to be superstar talents in the league. But you can, I mean, you have a really good roster. You just didn't have your wide receivers healthy last year. So moving back in the drafts, not all too terrible. I mean, you still have you, your own draft pick, which I believe is 18th. I'm not looking at the draft right now. But let's talk about the 49ers here moving up in the draft. They moved up nine spots to get the third overall pick. What does this tell you about the I just hit the wall. What does this tell you about the 49ers? Well, they were in a similar they're in a similar situation like the Jets are. I'd probably say one very similar situation actually because both teams have quarterbacks. 
Um, Darnold and Jimmy G are completely different quarterbacks, but they're quarterbacks. They're contract quarterbacks on their team for this coming season. Now, I think Jimmy G is a very, very, very good quarterback. He's a game manager. He won't win you. He won't lose you games. But to go up and trade for the third overall pick, you know, that's kind of questionable because a pick that's so valuable, you know, when quarterback is so, so important in this league and it's so highly valued in this league, wouldn't really make sense to go up to the third third overall pick because who do you really want at that spot? I mean, you don't need uh, Panay Sewell. I mean, do you want to bring in a wide receiver? Are you moving up to get one of those two wide receivers? That would make sense. That would make sense. Or are you moving up to draft one of those top five quarterbacks? Because you don't think one's going to fall to you at 12. I'm kind of leaning that way. But before I talk about that option, I want to talk about them moving up to draft one of the wide receivers because it's so interesting why they couldn't maybe move up to six, five, four. Probably because other teams don't want to move on that spot. I mean, it's still a very good, outside of the quarterbacks, it's still a very, very, very good draft. And none of the players should be taken lightly. But maybe, you know, teams just didn't want to move that draft pick and the Dolphins were the only ones willing were willing to do so. And then they had to pay a little extra just to get a wide receiver. I mean, it's it's possible. But then the other option I said is maybe they're moving up to draft a quarterback, which is the other option. And they could be doing that because they don't believe in Jimmy G. They want to bring someone in to be the future of the 49ers. But what is that going to do for Jimmy G? That's going to put him back on the trade block. Now, I hear a lot of uh, rumors from reporters and analysts saying that you know Jimmy G to the Patriots is not uh, is not not an option. It's still on the table. But then you hear people around you know New England Foxborough saying that you know Cam Newton's the quarterback. Cam Newton's the quarterback. So it's just very misleading, and obviously you have to take everything with a grain of salt until something is actually confirmed. Nothing's been confirmed yet in terms of Jimmy G to the Patriots. The only thing that's confirmed right now is Cam Newton's going to be a quarterback for the Patriots next year. Now, obviously, things could change where the Patriots may trade him, they trade for Jimmy G or whatever, but it is very interesting to see that the, the 49ers who have Jimmy Garoppolo move up to potentially take a quarterback or potentially take a wide receiver to give Jimmy G a weapon. Now, going back to the Dolphins really quickly, this move right here tells me that they're not into one of the quarterbacks. I know I kind of touched upon it earlier when I said that they still have two with Tunga Viola, but going from 3 to 12, you're probably not going to get one of those top five quarterbacks or more than likely won't get one of those top five quarterbacks. And sitting at three, you can draft... The, at least the third one. I mean, Trevor Lawrence might be gone. It seems like Zach Wilson's the second quarterback gone. Then you could have had your pick for Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or Trey Lance. But them moving out kind of tells me that like they're not into it anymore. They're gonna stick with Tua. They're gonna try to retool their draft assets, and they're gonna they might like someone at twelve. Go with twelve. Go with eighteen, I believe it is, and you know go into the season that way. I don't hate the move from either team. I think it's both very smart decisions. It's just going to be very interesting to see what the 49ers do with that pick. If they go for a quarterback, then you can expect Jimmy G to be gone. If they go with a wide receiver, obviously expect Jimmy G to stay. Now, obviously, there was a second trade in the NFL later that day. And this still also included the Miami Dolphins. However, the other trade partner was the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Miami Dolphins get... Number six overall pick and the number uh, 
156 overall pick in the draft, which I believe is a fourth rounder, third rounder. Uh, I want to say fourth rounder. Anyways, the Eagles get number 12th overall, number 123 overall, and a future, well, I guess a 2022 first round pick. Now, I just talked about the Dolphins trading out of number 3 to number 12, not to get a quarterback. Now the Dolphins go from 12 to number 6, back into that potential quarterback race. Now, number 5 in the draft, the 5th overall, is the Cincinnati Bengals. They just took Joe Burrow last year with number 1 pick, so they don't need a quarterback. They're not going to take a quarterback, no matter what. So being at that 6th spot, at the least, will guarantee them one of the top 5 quarterbacks in the draft because... Trevor Lawrence, I'm just going to spitball here. Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, um, Bengals pick, probably Panay Sewell to protect Joe Burrow, and then Justin Fields will be the sixth guy. Uh, sixth guy taken, fifth quarterback taken. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting now. They traded out, but now they're trading back in. This, this second trade doesn't really make sense for them, nor does it make sense for the Eagles, where the Eagles move from 6 to 12. They get 123 overall. And they get a future uh, next year's first round pick. If they don't like anybody at six, and then moving back, I, I that makes sense. They make that makes sense because that overall six overall pick was very valuable for a quarterback. And they have Jalen Hurts. They just traded away Carson Wentz. They've been saying that they're not sold on Jalen Hurts being the starting quarterback. And if they're not sold, then why would you trade Carson Wentz in the first place? That's a conversation for another day, but. The Eagles were entertaining drafting a possible quarterback, but now moving to 12, they're probably not going to get that chance to do so because they made this trade with the Dolphins. I do like this move because they were able to get a future first-round pick, obviously next year's first-round pick from the Dolphins, and they were also able to move up 30 or so spots in the draft, up to 123 from 156. The Dolphins, though, they're going from 3 to 12 to 6. Like, what? I mean, did they change their mind or see someone that they didn't want at 3, that they couldn't get at 12, but they knew they could get at 6? Huh. So, spitball idea. Say four quarterbacks go in the first four picks. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. Panay Sewell will go at 5 to the Bengals, more than likely. And now the Dolphins have their pick at number 6 of whoever they want that's remaining. If they don't go the quarterback route, which it still seems like they're not going to because they initially traded to 12, uh, where could they go? They could still get their wide receiver at 6. They could still get their wide receiver at 6. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it does, but it doesn't at the same time. I know they were able to get a nice return from the 49ers for the third overall pick. Then they had to give up just a little bit to get back into the top 10 into number 6. So a bunch of food for thought as we approach the NFL draft, which is... Less than a month away, I think, at this point. Uh, don't quote me on that. I just looked it up, and it's on Thursday, April 29th, which I knew, and it's exactly a month away from today. Woo-wee! We got a good one coming. I mean, hopefully the moves still keep going and going and going and going because I love drafts. I love trading. I love all the speculation and all the unknowing until leading up to the draft, I should say. And let's see. I tried to get a current order there's so many ads get out of here i don't care for these ads all right i'm trying to get a current top uh first round and we have obviously the jacksonville jaguars at number one the jets at number two the 49ers at three falcons at four bengals at five dolphins at six lions at seven panthers at eight 
Broncos at 9, Cowboys at 11, Giants at, I'm sorry, the Cowboys at 10, the Giants at 11, Eagles at 12, the Chargers at 13, the Vikings at 14, and the Patriots at 15, and the rest is all the same. That second Miami first round pick was 18th overall, so I was corrected there, and I think this is just the beginning. You can honestly expect a lot more. I mean, I know the Patriots have been rumored to potentially want to move up. I've heard that they're potentially wanting to stay. You could see maybe a team like the Cowboys or the Giants try to move up. You could see someone like the Vikings try to move up. It's just going to be very interesting to see how the rest of the, this month, I guess, what I should say, April, play out with all these potential moves as, you know, pro days come and go, scouting reports come in. It's it's a fun time right now. I mean, no football is being played, but it is a very exciting and intense time of year for the league. Moving on to MLB baseball. Yes. So on Facebook, I believe it was, I was seeing Fox run polls of, you know, who fans thought were going to win such awards. MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, all the good stuff. And I agreed with some of their some of the fans' picks, I guess, and some of them I disagreed with. Now, I'm not going to go over, you know, the fans voting for, you know, the polls of Fox ran, but I do kind of want to go over my opinion, my opinion of who I think will win such awards. I have MVP for both the AL and the NL. I have Cy Young for both the AL and the NL, and then Rookie of the Year for both American and National League. Now, I just want to quickly recap. I did do my... Um, division winner predictions uh, recently last week. And I just kind of want to recap that really quickly because I'm not going to touch upon that in this prediction segment. But I just kind of want to refresh memory so everyone kind of has, you know, heads up going into it. And if you want to hear more about it, go check it out. I believe it was Friday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, which is the most recent episode, episode 33. Definitely, I dive right into how deep I, I see these teams going in the season, how good they are and what not the competition that these divi- potential division winners could face. And I also gave you some reasons why they could and could not win, as well for other teams that have a chance to win the division or not win the division. But anyways, I walked away from that episode with the Yankees winning the American League East, the Twins winning the Central, and the Houston Astros winning the American League West. In the National League East, we have the Atlanta Braves, the Cardinals in the Central, and the Los Angeles Dodgers walking away with the crown in the National League West. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but those are my divisional prediction winners. Just recapping that there. Anyways, moving on to the National League Rookie of the Year. Now, a lot of people may not know this kid, but he's good. Or at least he's going to be good. And his name is Key Brian Hayes. Now, he's had a phenomenal, phenomenal spring training this year. He's batting 413 in spring training in 46 at-bats. Now, yes, I'm not a big fan of spring training, but it is an excellent showcase for young players like Hayes himself, players trying to rehab, or even players looking for a roster spot. Now, I really like what this kid can bring to the table. He's a third baseman. He's 24 years old. He's walking right into his prime age, his prime year, prime aged years for his career, although he's still a rookie. So he might be a little bit behind, but he should be well-developed and ready to rock and roll for the Pirates this year. Yes, the Pirates are going to suck. They're going to be abysmal, but don't let that take away from what this kid can bring to the table. I can really, uh, last year, let's just talk about last year real quick in the COVID shortened season, which is really his only MLB experience, where he hit five home runs and 85 at bats, hitting 376. 
I'm telling you guys, this kid's going to be good. I really think this kid is going to be good. And let's move over to the projections that he has here on MLB Baseball Reference, where they are projecting 14 home runs, 40 RBIs, 285 batting average, and 291 at-bats. I think that's a little low of a projection. I could totally see him getting 400 at-bats, hitting between 15 and 20 home runs, and getting around 70 RBIs. If that's the case, he's walking away with the National League Rookie of the Year award. Moving to the American League. I'm so torn. I'm so torn with the American League uh, Rookie of the Year award because I really love both of these prospects. And one of them is in Boston. Yes, Bobby Dahlbeck. And I did my uh, opening day projected lineup. Uh, What was it? It was on the Thursday special before I went to Florida. If you haven't checked that out go check it out i give you my my cord keeps messing up i give you my entire opening day uh, lineup for the boston red sox come when they play the orioles on april 1st and i really think that i give a great explanation on why bobby Dahlback won't make the team now i still think that he might not but i'm kind of starting to think that he will at this point because he's having a phenomenal spring training I think he won't because I think he's going to be in a similar position that Chris Bryant was in with the Cubs a few years ago. Top prospect in that team's organization. Chris Bryant at the time was top prospect in baseball. Bobby Dahlback is not, but he's still our top prospect in the organization where he doesn't make the opening day roster. Come bearing someone struggling or an injury a couple weeks into the season, that's when he'll get the call up. Chris Bryant was in that situation. I kind of see that being the same thing for Bobby Dahlback, but a lot of signs of putting him to being the opening day first baseman, which I would be totally okay with, don't get me wrong, and he totally deserved it. I think there's no point in him being down in AAA if he's playing the way that he's playing, so might as well have him on the opening day roster and let him contribute from day one. Now, with that being said, the other player that I could see potentially being the American League Rookie of the Year is Andrew Vaughn from the Chicago White Sox. This kid is something. He's a first baseman and a relief pitcher. He's 22 years old, and I don't know if we'll see him on the opening day roster, but we can also see him um, early into the season as well because he is a pitcher and he can hit. But I do want to see how the Chicago White Sox are going to use him. Now, he hasn't pitched in the minor leagues since 2019. He has no... um nothing about pitching since 2019 so that uh, brings me to believe that he's going to be a first baseman or at least a designated hitter probably a dh i would think so that relief option is still kind of there maybe or just have him be at first base and then jose bray will be the dh i'm not too sure what the white Sox will do over there anyways his 2021 spring training stats look like this where he has two home runs five rbis a 271 batting average and 59 at bats very underwhelming in comparison to Bobby Dahlback, but I really think that Andrew Vaughn has a lot of pure power. He was the third overall pick in the June 2019 amateur draft uh, for the Chicago White Sox out of Berkeley, uh, California Berkeley. I'm just surprised that the White Sox aren't trying to use him more as a pitcher. I mean, if he's your DH or even your first baseman, then he could play the field and then, you know, Warm up, being a reliever, I don't know. I mean, if he's your DH, then you can have him go warm up in the bullpen in the 7th, 8th inning. 
bring him in, then you're just going to have to have uh, someone replace him in that lineup. But your pit, you'll lose your DH spot, but your pitcher would hit, but you would have him pitching, which isn't terrible because he can hit because he's technically a first baseman. You see what I'm trying to say? So if he's your DH and seventh, eighth inning rolls around, you have him strut, uh, trot over to the bullpen while the White Sox are in the field, then he can go warm up out there when you need him to to pitch. You can call him in. You're going to lose your DH spot, but that's fine. Your pitcher is going to end up hitting. And he's your pitcher. And hopefully by then, you can close the game out where the pitcher, quote-unquote, hitting doesn't really matter if you would have to take him out for you know whatever reason. I think that is kind of a, a sexy idea. That's why I love the National League and the pitchers hitting and not DHs in that league because it just brings on so much more strategy and, you know, thinking into the game than if you have a DH in the American League where you just have, you know, hitters one through nine hit and then pitchers just pitch. It's just simple and boring like that. I understand why people want the DH in the National League because, you know, DH can hit, pitchers not so much, but there's just so much more strategy in the National League when the pitchers hit. And I think this this kid could be a versatile weapon similar to what Shohei Otani is for the White Sox, I mean, for the Angels, excuse me, and Vaughn for the White Sox could be something similar, but instead of being a starter, it could be a relief pitcher. It's very interesting. It's very interesting what this kid could potentially do, but it seems like he's just going to be a hitter, first baseman, DH for the White Sox because, like I said, I'm not seeing any pitching stats um, dating any further back than or any sooner than 2019. So anyways, I'm kind of torn between Vaughn and Dahlbeck. If I have to put my finger on it right now, I'm going to lean Dahlbeck because I think he has much more upside and he's having a much stronger spring training which hopefully would translate into the 2021 season. Moving on to the National League, I keep hitting. I'm trying to hold my cord so it doesn't touch like my mic like this. And sometimes like my thumb will let go of it by accident, and it'll kind of just hit it. So I do apologize for like the subtle, obnoxious noises. Anyways, uh, National League Cy Young Award winner. I don't think this is much of a conversation, but you absolutely could have one on your own time. Jacob deGrom from the Mets. I mean, dude's a stud. There's, is there really much of an argument there? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, who else is going to flirt with him for that crown? Uh, let's see. Clayton Kershaw, obviously. Trevor Bauer, obviously. Um, Aaron Nola. I like Aaron Nola this year for the um, Phillies. I really think he's going to perform very, very well. I have him as my top twenty, one of my top 25 players for the 2021 season. Zach Gallon of the Diamondbacks could even have a huge... Um, step up kind of season for himself as well but Jacob deGrom I think it's his award to lose he pitches a sub two ERA it seems like almost every season and it seems like he's not going to be slowing down anytime soon especially if the Mets are better where they should be giving him more run support which hopefully will generate him more wins in the win column moving on to the American League Cy Young Award winner now I like this pick because it's different it's bold but I'm going to go with Lucas Giolito here, and I could totally... He's a great pitcher. There it is again, where it hits it. He's a great young pitcher with in a tremendous amount of upside still, and he hasn't even reached his peak yet. He hasn't. And the projections for him is 12-10 and 10 with a 4.17 ERA. Now, I don't know how true that would be, being on the White Sox in the division with the Indians, who are still relatively okay, the Twins, who are supposed to be good, the Royals, I, I have no idea what the hell they're doing over there. 
and the who's the other team in that division? The Detroit Tigers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're they're a, a shit show. So, anyways, I really think that he could um, take off. He was an All Star in 2019. He had a eh, year last year. I mean, let's see, where was it last year? He went five and uh, four and three last year with a 3.48 ERA, starting 12 games over 72 in a third inning. I think he has the potential to really kind of take off and become that. He, he is the ace of that White Sox rotation, but really become an ace throughout baseball. Uh, let's see, spring training so far in six games. He's two and one with a 1.17 ERA and 23 innings pitched. I, I like what I see there. I know there's a lot of people out there that say Garrett Cole, uh, Shane Bieber again. You could even go with uh, Corey Kluber, uh, he and Jin Ryu from the Blue Jays. A lot of good options there. Trust me. There's no way that I'm going to stick to Giolito and be like, that's the only one. Because, like I said, Cole, Bieber, Ryu, um, Kluber even. I really think they all have a chance. I mean, you can even say Shohei Otani, if he can kind of figure it out with his elbow, could even be in that discussion. So I'm not going to just close the case off with Lucas Giolito, but that's just who I think will win the American League Cy Young Award. Moving to the ML MVP Award, we have Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals. I'm not going to go too much into this kid. I've talked highly about him on this podcast numerous times before, where any national success is going to go through him. Trey Turner will be his, you know, sidekick, though that's no no um, bad hit on Trey Turner. It's just Juan Soto's in a completely league of his own. He has a tremendous eye at the plate. He knows how to hit the ball for co- both contact and power. A complete five-tool player, and he's still only like 22 or 23 years old. Like, I don't even know. He's just so young, and he's so good, and he's going to be for the next 10 to 15 years. I really think he's going to walk away with his first NL MVP award which would be deservingly so. Other players that I could see being in that discussion is obviously Fernando Tatis Jr., Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich, if he can figure himself out this year for the Brewers, and, of course, Ronald Acuna Jr. I'm a big fan of Acuna Jr. Um, I really wanted to pick him for this segment, but I don't know. I just, oh, man, I kind of want to switch now because, like, just talking about it makes me think about it, and me thinking about it makes me want to switch. Ugh. Jeez, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't want to go with both because that's so boring. But I know I kind of said Juan Soto, but I think I'm gonna go Ronald Acuna Jr. And here's why. Let give me a little 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 pass here. Let me let me change my answer. I'm gonna go with Ronald Acuna Jr. because the Braves have a higher chance to be a competitive team than the Nationals do in the National League East and in the National League in general. Usually, MVP awards go to teams in competition. For the playoffs. Now, I'm not going to say the Nationals won't make the playoffs, but I just think the Braves have a higher chance to do so. Ronald Acuna Jr.'s ceiling is so high, and Juan Soto's is as well. I mean, we've seen Acuna Jr. flirt with 30 30, 40 30. And when I say that, home run steals, right? 30 home runs, 30 steals, 40 home runs, 30 steals. Could he even become a 40 40 player? Absolutely. I mean, his lineup is looking really good down there with Ozzy Albies. Um, Marcelo Zuna, Dansby Swanson. The Braves had a really good run last year, and I think it's going to be another step up for them this year. And that's why I guess I'm going to switch my pick to Ronald Acuna Jr. Besides, I like Acuna Jr. just as a player much more than I do Juan Soto. So I'm going to pick Ronald Acuna Jr. after scratching off and originally taking Juan Soto. So pencil it in, Ronald Acuna Jr. But 
I could totally see Juan Soto doing it. I'd be totally okay with it. Anyways, moving to the American League MVP, and I know this one's going to stir up a lot of discussion, a lot of conversation, and I have no idea if I even want to tell you this option. So people that could win it. Let me start there. People that could win it. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu won it last year. Um, uh, DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees. I mean, Aaron Judge could even have a nice season this year. Uh, I, I said on Twitter a dark horse MVP pick would be Xander Bogarts, and I think that's true, and I think that's more reasonable than who I actually wrote down. Um, I put J.D. Martinez. Now, oh my God, you put J.D. Martinez. He had a shitty-ass 21, uh, 2020 season last year. Yes, but let's take a look at what other years he's done, especially in Boston. 2018, 43 home runs, 130 RBIs. 2019, 36 home runs, 105 RBIs. Both of those years hitting over 300. Last year was a step back, but let's look at his projections for this year where he's projected 29 home runs, 91 RBIs, and a 278 ERA uh, batting average. Excuse me. I think that's a little low, but yes, then again, he is entering his age 33 season. That is to consider. That's kind of why I like Alexander Bogarts better because I still think Bogarts is oh so close to re- reaching his full season uh, ceiling. But I think it's going to be a huge bounce back season for J.D. Martinez because MLB is allowing video um, replay in the dugouts for hitters so they can go on their little iPads and kind of look at the pitches from their at-bat and kind of figure out things like pitcher tendencies, you know, at what point does the ball break, you know, just nitty-gritty stuff like that. And I think that not having that last year affected a lot of hitters, J.D. Martinez um, as well because he's kind of a big proponent of that and he's part of the big reason for that movement across MLB. Is that going to be the reason why he wins MVP because he has an iPad back in the dugout? No, I just think he's due for a bounce-back season as is a bunch of the other Red Sox players are as well. I don't want to be a homer here and pick um, a Red Sox for the AL MVP and a Red Sox for the AL Rookie of the Year. I do strongly think that you know Bobby Dahlbeck has a great case for Rookie of the Year, and I also think that J.D. Martinez could be a dark horse pick. I didn't want to be boring and bland and be like, oh, Mike Trout. Like, come on. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do yeah, Yes, he could win it, and he easily could win it, and it would not be a terrible take is if you think he wins it. But come on, that's so boring. I'm not going to sit here and be like, Mike Trout, and here's the reason why. You all know the reason why. You all know why Mike Trout could be MVP. So instead, I'm going to give you a reason why I think J.D. Martinez could be MVP or Alexander Bogarts. So <clears throat> those are my takes and my predictions for the American League MVP Cy Young Award winners, the National League MVP and Cy Young Award winners, plus the American League and National League Rookie of the Year's. I really hope you enjoyed this kind of a little prediction segment. I definitely want to do something more like this again when football season rolls around and then when basketball and hockey season kind of reboots itself. I definitely kind of want to go back and look at my predictions, you know, halfway through the season and then eventually at the end of the season as well. But as of now, those are my predictions for both the division, which I mentioned last time, and those individual player awards this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this kind of breakdown uh, predictions for these awards it's definitely something fun and i like to share my opinion on because everyone has an opinion on this award that award why this player should win why that player you know shouldn't win or whatnot and those are my reasons why i want to hear your reasons why so if you're listening on audio platforms spotify apple google amazon whatever 
you know, reach out to me on Twitter and on Instagram at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where you know the ST stands for sports talk. And if you're watching on YouTube, please leave a comment down below. I'd love to listen to what you have to say. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like rating if you enjoyed the video. And also subscribe if you're new or if you haven't yet. But anyways, that's going to do it for me here over in the studio. Murph's Boston Sports Talk, episode number 34. This is Monday's edition. Stay tuned for Hump Day's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk on Wednesday. But you know it. You love it. Until then, I will see ya. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.